Hello, and welcome to a new episode of The Top Step. This is Steve Miller, and you will be hearing from Paul Fritchner as a 17-year-old in a little bit, uh, because today we are revisiting a conversation we had almost exactly six years ago in May of 2014 with Dave Jagler. Dave still is a Washington Nationals radio broadcaster on 106.7 The Fan, alongside with Charlie Slows, and they both called the Nationals' postseason run and World Series victories on the radio just last year in the fall of 2019. But you'll have to excuse this throwback, both in the more pediatric voices of me and Paul, as well as the 2014 content. This was our first interaction with someone of uh, who we consider high stature in the MLB media world. So naturally, we sound slightly excited and maybe nervous throughout the interview. Um, but if you've been following baseball since 2014, you'll still recognize some of the names. Uh, all of it's mostly fresh content. And for context, the Nationals had only reached the playoffs once at that point uh, in the, of this recording. They lost in the NLDS in 2012. Of course, in 2014, they went on to win the NL East again. However, they lost in the NLDS again, as they did again in 2016 and 17. Uh, one more thing. Uh, at one point in this podcast, we reference a Baseball Geographics episode that we did, which we will re-release in the near future in this feed. So, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Dave Jagler. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. You're killing me, Smalls. There's no crying in baseball. Eye on the ball, okay? One, two, three, strike. That guy was a bro. <laughs> and his name is Dan Ugly. Let's go Bucks. Uh, you're calling me weird. God bless America. God bless the Queen. Today we are joined by none other than Dave Jagler. We're happy he's on with us today. Sure, my pleasure. Good to be on with you guys. So, um, and thinking about the questions, what I was going to ask you, in a post article from 2012 um, that they wrote about you, um, you talked about sitting in the stands in Syracuse and how it didn't do a whole lot for your social life, but how it really helped calling the games and how it helped your baseball career. And Steve and I actually did that this year for our JV baseball games. We wanted to get some experience, and so we'd sit up on the hill and call the JV baseball games. So I was just thinking if you could talk about what that experience did for you and how it helped propel your career. Well, you know, maybe I shouldn't if you guys are after my job. <laughs> you guys are... Uh... If you're if you're that serious about it, that that's great. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm always uh, excited to to encourage younger announcers. For me, it was it was a means to an end. I, I was at a, a very competitive uh, college program at Syracuse University, and in order to be cleared to, to go on the air for sportscasts, it was about a almost a one year process. When you were a freshman, you had to work your way up, and the, and the juniors and seniors would critique your work, and that was just to be on the air to be sportscast. But the really the the creme de la creme, if you will, the, the thing that everyone wanted to do was to call basketball games and football games. Yeah. And in order to be cleared uh, to go on the air, you had to do practice games. And the only way you could do practice games was to sit in the carrier dome and, and broadcast the games in the student section. And those are the seats that we had. So uh, it, it made for, uh, certainly you were very self-conscious doing it, but in a way it was... It was kind of like a fraternity hazing, although you didn't. Nobody was was injured or there wasn't anything crazy. But that, everybody had to do it, and uh, it was it was kind of a, I think show if you were dedicated, if you really wanted to to put forth the work and the effort to 
uh, to be cleared, and, and you had what it takes. If you could, if you could broadcast under those conditions and, and give a quality broadcast, uh, then, then you maybe had something. So um, I never, I never had the chance to do it in, in baseball because Syracuse didn't have a baseball program. It was, it was football, it was basketball, and lacrosse was actually the spring sport that we had to do uh, in the stands. So not as big a crowd for lacrosse games as obviously a, a big Monday game against Georgetown uh, back back in those days. So oh, of course. Yeah. Um, it was a. It was definitely an experience that I'm. I'm glad I don't have to do again. Um, in, in a way, it's funny here at, at Nationals Park. I'm. A, I don't know if it's if I'm scarred by that experience, but um, on, on nights where it's where it's empty here, like if there's a rain delay yeah. or a, or a blowout game, and the, and the crowd is somewhat emptier than normal, we can hear our broadcast that's being pumped onto the concourse. We can hear it come through our crowd mic into our headsets huh. in a slight delay. So it. It's almost like you're you're listening to yourself, and I feel a little self-conscious about it, wondering if if maybe the players can can hear what I'm saying, and if I'm talking about hey the, the catcher's set up to the outside corner, if the hitter can hear that, <laughs> and if I'm giving away something. So that's uh, that that's uh, that's where we are. Now. You know, I've come a long way from those days in uh, in 1989, 1990 to be here in in 2014. So I was wondering, you're talking about broadcasting football and lacrosse and basketball games. The tempo of those sports from baseball is, is dramatically different. Is it tough for you as a broadcaster to switch between sports like that? Well, I mean, I, I did a lot more basketball than anything else. I haven't done football in a long time, and I, I used to do more basketball work in the off season. And when I would get to baseball, I would almost have to force myself to slow down a little bit. It wasn't hard to, to catch up to the speed of basketball, but as far as baseball... <clears throat> There's long periods of, of inactivity and then then quick action. Right. And so you can you can speed your tempo when there's a double in the gap. There's a lot to talk about as far as picking up the the outfielders and the runners. But uh, the course of a game it's a much slower pace. So you really do have to be conscious about slowing down. Looking back on it now and knowing what you know and being here to broadcast in a major league stadium and broadcasting to fans now with a bigger fan base. Knowing what you know now and looking back at your career, what would be something that you would suggest to, that you, you maybe you think you would have done differently, or that you would have that would have helped you become even more successful? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I mean, one thing I, I did was I, I did I tried to do everything. I mean, do, yeah. do different sports, uh, talk show work. Uh, you know, I wish I wish I'd focus more on the on the play by play early. The one thing that I was that, that's different for for me than a lot of guys who make it to the major leagues from the minor league route. A lot of guys are career minor league baseball announcers, and they work their way up. Maybe they started in A ball, and they go to Double A AA and Triple A in the big leagues. I, I skipped some steps. I mean, I my first baseball action was Triple A when I was working in Charlotte, and that's because the flagship station of the Charlotte Knights, the Triple A team there, was on our station, and so I got to do some games there. And then my first full-time experience was Pawtucket in 2005, but I had done a lot of talk show work, and I often equate. Uh, the two, because when you're when you're in a baseball game, it's very conversational. Yeah. So you have to have that ability to, to interact with a co-host. That's like interacting with a you know with, with Charlie in the broadcast, and you interact with, with people. So you, you're there's no script. You're able to think on your feet. So I mean, I think the talk show was good training. You know, it, it took me a little while to get my feet on the ground in 2005 when I was doing baseball full time, just to just to kind of catch up to the game, get the, get the terminology exactly right, just from not having done a whole lot of it relative to other guys. So, I mean, that, I mean the path I chose was a different one. I, I thought I was going to do NBA more so than, than baseball, but uh, it, broke, uh, it broke differently, and uh, I'm glad it did. Well, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that because one thing that you 
you talk about in in the same article as I remember that is that you don't that you and, and Charlie like to have have it be more of a discussion and incorporate both people in the booth and that it's not just three innings of one broadcaster and three innings of the next that you really try to draw the fans in and make it a interactive broadcast and help produce listeners I and mean, is that that's yeah. one thing that you yeah, that's very true. I mean, we, we, we still, I mean, the game is the thing. I mean, we, yeah. we work in our discussions and our tangents in and around the play-by-play. I mean, when you listen to our broadcast, I'm proud of the fact that you're, you're going to get everything. You're going to get every pitch and, and everything that happens on the field, but we try to give a little more than that. And if it's just, if it's just one guy by himself, you know, it's, it doesn't quite have the same effect if you're trying to make yourself laugh as opposed to <laughs> trying to make somebody else laugh. And that makes the, the dull games go by a little better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it can it can uh, turn into uh, you know, kind of a couple of guys sitting around the, the water cooler or, or having a, a beverage and talking baseball. Yeah. But again, the, the game is still the thing, and uh, we don't do a whole lot of that in, in one-run games and games that are that are really close. Uh, the, the, the times we tend to be a little off the off the track is is when it's seven to nothing in the second inning. You've got two and a half more hours <laughs> yeah, to fill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's. It's been said that baseball is a dying sport in the sense that baseball used to be where the father and the son would go to a game and it would be a bonding experience and they would each talk about the different aspects of the game. But now as the games have gone on you know, two, two, two and a half hours, three hours long and kids sit in the stadiums with their smartphones and the games aren't as exciting as they used to be and in the sense of kids, the attention span isn't there. They want to see the lacrosse games where it's hits and it's and it's actions and it's goals scored. But baseball is so much of a thinking game that listening to your broadcasts and listening to the games, make it, making it interesting, I think is something that really helps the sport of baseball to inspire kids and to get them to pay, pay attention to the games and want to come to the games. And Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I mean, one, one thing that, you know, we, we try to incorporate is that something – Something is always happening. Even if, if you look, you look at a field, and you see nine guys out there. You may not see a lot happening, but something's happening. Maybe a, a center fielder takes a couple of steps to the toward left center, and that that can indicate to you how they're going to pitch to the batter. So you try to pick up those those little cues, and uh, you know when a ball's put in play, you know the ball may be hit to the shortstop, but there's more. The, you know, really, almost all nine guys on the field have a job and should be moving. So uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. I mean, to me the the way to get kids involved and, and to get the the attention span locked in, and, and we don't, you know this is kind of a thing you don't see a lot anymore, is to keep score of the game. When I used to go go to games when I was a kid, I would keep score of every game that I went to. Well, if you if you're keeping score of the game, the worst thing to have is an empty inning. <laughs> so you're you're pretty much locked in to to watch what happens. It probably encourages you to, to stay till the end of the game because you. You know what? What's the point of starting if you don't finish? Exactly. So uh, you know, I, you know, we we talk about uh, you know how a play is scored in our broadcast, and uh, you tend to see actually more women keep score than men at baseball <laughs> games. But uh, you know, if you want to if you want to keep your attention span focused in, grab a Bob Carpenter scorebook and, yeah. and figure out, <laughs> figure out uh, how to keep score, and that'll keep your your attention focused because uh, that you got to. Once you start it, you want to finish it. Exactly, because they, they say how games can go on for three hours, but really there's only 10 to 15 minutes of actual the ball being in play. Right. And so incorporating the excitement and, like you said, keeping score and keeping the fans involved is something that 
I think will really help this generation of of younger kids that want to come in and. Yeah, I think I think from from the national side of things, I mean, I, I think uh, you know I see a lot of families come here and uh, on the Sunday games, the kids running the bases. So I think it is a, a good family experience, and and certainly as this franchise has, has grown into a winner, that that will only help uh, because the, the city has not you know it skipped a generation. It went from. You know, I had losing ball clubs in, in the 60s, and then when the Senators left in 1971, until 2005, you didn't have baseball here. So yeah. if you wanted to be a fan, you were probably a fan of the Orioles, or maybe you latched on to the Yankees or the Red Sox or, or some other team. But, uh, you know, now, if, you, if, you've, if you're growing up in this area, you've got the attachment. You know, I've, hey, I've got a team in my own backyard to follow, and now they're a winning team. So, uh, you know, I want to see, I want to keep up how they're doing. Something we talked about last week in our Baseball Demographics podcast is that D.C. Is, is a national city in a sense that people come here from all over, and there's really not as much of a local culture here as there is in a city like New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco. So does that is that reflected in, in the baseball culture, D.C., that maybe the, the fan base in D.C. isn't quite as strong as it would be in one of those more local cities? Well, what, what I see is in, in each and every game, you see a lot of fans of the visiting team. Because yeah. like you say, they're, they're people who come from out of town, and maybe they've, they've moved here or they're here from work and they're, you know, they're from Atlanta, so they're going to come and see the Braves, or they're from Miami, they're going to come see the Marlins, or, you know, interleague play, we've always had strong yeah. crowds here when the Tigers play here. Okay. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. You see, you see a lot of representation with other fan bases here. Uh, now, that, as the Nationals have gotten stronger, that, that tends to be more drowned out by the, uh, the folks wearing red. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a real passionate... Uh, group of, of fans here, but it's probably a smaller number than it is in Boston. I mean, that, that's my experience from growing up in New England as, as a Red Sox fan, and, and there the sports talk was Red Sox year-round sprinkling in Patriots if they were doing well, Celtics or Bruins. Here, it's it's, Red, it's Redskins year-round sprinkling in the other teams, and uh, it's you know baseball can be a great sport to, to talk about because there's a game every day, and they're uh, it, it's the easiest sport to, to analyze, and it's so easy to second-guess the manager. Well, he, he brought in the pitcher, and he gave up the home run. Why did he bring in that pitcher? You know, whereas the average fan, they don't know the difference between a cover two and a cover three defense. Baseball, it's, you know, everyone thinks that they, they know the answer. So, um, but, but again, I, I think because this, this area skipped a generation, you know, the, the ins and outs and appreciating the subtlety of the game that we talked about earlier that, Hey, if you, if you watch the center fielder, he can almost tell you how they're going to pitch. Uh, you watch the catcher, how he sets up, how he how he calls a game. Uh, you know, fans, it takes time to, to learn those nuances of the game. Um, I did want to – I was curious to hear your opinion and what you thought of – there's been a lot of discussion over the last year with Ryan Zimmerman's struggles and his throwing the ball – to, from third to first, and what just what your thoughts were, and even now taking batting practice out in the outfield, what you think how how he will develop um, as in a in a defensive sense. Well, I mean that that remains to be seen. I mean he's been dealing with injuries. Uh, that shoulder, obviously, the the surgery he had prior to last season, uh, 2012, he was basically having to, to compensate by playing shallow and and charging everything to throw down from the side because he couldn't get his arm up elevated to throw over the top. Yeah. And I think that created some bad habits in that he, you know, when his shoulder felt better, he almost had to relearn how to throw from over the top. So I think there's there's probably a mental component to it. 
but also a physical component, and obviously his, his shoulder, I think, was still barking at him this year, even uh, over a year after surgery. So uh, probably the, long, the long-term answer is that he's not going to be at third base, but okay. for the 2014 Nationals, this team fits together better when he is at third base because Adam LaRoche is one of your best offensive players, yeah. and he can only play first base. Yes. Anthony Rendon has versatility that he can play second or third. If Zimmerman's a third, he can play second. Yeah. And obviously when Harper comes back, he's going to be your left fielder because if Zimmerman's going to play some left field, well, where do you put Harper when he comes back? If you put him in center field, then Span sits, and there's your leadoff hitter. So the, the pieces of the puzzle fit better together if he's at third base. So uh, I think initially uh, they're concerned about how he can handle uh, throwing the ball with his thumb and, and how the shoulder responds. So if he does play in left field, that takes a lot of pressure off him having to make maybe five or six throws across. Uh, you know, you might go a game or two and not have a chance in left field. Or if you catch a fly ball, you're just kind of lobbing the ball back yeah. in toward the infield. So it's a way for him to, to work on, on getting the arm strength up while protecting his shoulder. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball as to what's going to happen. But right now, they, they have two big holes offensively at, at, at second base and in left field. And he fills one of them. Either okay. by playing left field or by playing third base and moving Rendon to second base, so gotcha. it'll just be good to get his bat back in the lineup first and foremost. Um, one other thing I was going to ask regarding the Nats was Ross Detweiler and how he had been such a key part for the Nats, uh, especially in the playoffs in 2012 and last year in his um, pitching appearances. But then this year, his struggles have really um, been magnified. Um, just coming in, giving up runs. If there's anything that you have noticed or have heard uh, with how he will develop this season. Well, I mean, that, that's been I – mean, the bullpen has been outstanding. It, it has. He leads baseball in ERA, but obviously Detweiler has been the one, you know, piece that, that hasn't quite clicked in where, yeah. where everyone else has performed well. And I think a couple of things. Number one, I think adjustment to the role. Uh, you know, he's been primarily a starting pitcher his entire life. Yeah. Uh, he, he's had spurts with the Nationals in the bullpen where he did where he did okay. Uh, and I think, again, we talk about the mental thing. I think he still looks at himself as a starting pitcher, which when you're a reliever and you look at yourself as a starter, you look at it as a demotion. Yeah. Um, Tyler Clippert has talked about, and Craig Stammen uh, talked to them, both of them about this, that they both had to make the transition mentally. I'm not a starter anymore. But, yeah. I, but it's, that's not a bad thing. And, and Tyler Clippard, he made his Nationals debut in 2008 as a starting pitcher. And if you look at his stats in 2008 in AAA, I believe he went like 6-15 and 15 as a starting pitcher and was, was not really headed anywhere in the organization. And the next year they converted him to relief in the minor leagues, and it took him a while to embrace the change. And once he did, he had success. And, and Craig Stammen, he'll still talk about, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a starting pitcher, but I think he's accepted that he, he's been in the big leagues now, you know, going on three full years without being sent to the minors yeah. because he's so good as a reliever. So, you know, I, I'm sure a part of Ross still feels that, hey, I'm going to be a starter again someday. So he, he's got to get over that hump that, hey, right now I'm a reliever. And then, then the issue has been workload. Um, yeah. You know, as a starter, he was pitching every five days. The way the games have worked out, there have been times where Ross has gone a week or more without pitching. Yeah. And, and, and that's tough. So then, then you come in at a big spot. Your, your command is not maybe what you'd want it to be. Yeah. And you're going to give up runs. So it, it's just it's been one of those things that he's had to suffer because they've been 
Nationals haven't scored a lot of runs. So the only time he's pitching is when they're getting blown out or That's when true. they're blowing people out. Exactly. They haven't been blowing people out, so they're playing a lot of close games. And in close games, they're going to go to Clipper, Storin. Yeah. Barrett even has had some chances, and yeah, obviously yeah. Soriano. So uh, it's just he's been a victim of circumstance in a, in a, lot, of, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, one last question I was going to ask, and I was telling, telling Steve that uh, Michael Pineda was um, called out for his use of pine tar. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if you had any any thoughts or anything no. thinking about if no. what what kind of use that does with baseball. It's, kind, it's kind of a, an unwritten thing. Um, it's Obviously, it's against the rules. Um, but from what I gather, and no, no, you'll never get anyone to tell you this on the record you know, with, the, with the recorder rolling, uh, I get the sense that a, a lot of pitchers use it and that it's very helpful with the grip and that hitters are not upset about it because if a pitcher doesn't have a good grip, well, there's more likely that one's going to come in at your head when they don't need it to. Yeah. So the, the, the key is to not be blatant about it. Um, you know, he obvi- uh, Pineda obviously had it uh, very exposed, and, and that's kind of flaunting it. Um, if you remember a couple of years ago, it was 2012, Joel Peralta was a pitcher who had yeah, been with the Nationals and was pitching for Tampa Bay, and he apparently when he was here, doctored the baseball. And so he came in at a key spot, and Davey Johnson ordered him to be checked. And he was found to have a foreign substance. He was ejected and suspended for 10 games. And I think, you know, Davey looked at it as a competitive, you know, it was a one-run game. Joe Madden wants his pitcher in there. I know he's doing something illegal. I'm going to get him out of there. Well, it turned out the pitcher they brought in, uh, McGee, left-hander through 98, got a 1-2-3 inning. Maybe they would have had a better chance against Madden. <laughs> but you can be sure that if, if, if any Nationals pitcher had anything, they, they were scrubbing it off because... You know, Madden was going to yeah. undress him if he had to. Oh, so yeah. it, it's a game within the game. I think, you know, you, you see, you see. Uh, I was watching Mike Leake. He pitched here the other day. I was watching him on Sunday Night Baseball the other night. He had a big spot on his cap, and it, it was rosin. But, you know, it was a big white spot on his cap. I mean, yeah. could someone say something about that? But it, it, I think it's kind of everybody does it. So as long as you just, you don't do it. Openly or, or overtly, then yeah. uh, then you can slide with it. All right. One last thing, I was wondering, when you travel with the team, do you have much time to explore kind of the, the different baseball cities around the country? And if so, what kinds of things do you do there when you're on road trips? Sure. Uh, I mean, my, my routine on the, I mean, I I try to play a lot of golf. <laughs> I, try, I try to work out a lot. But there are cities where I'll explore. Uh, San Francisco. I mean, I'll, I'll ride on the the streetcar and, and go to a you know Gilly Square and yeah. you know. Um, Take, I've been out the boat ride out to the Golden Gate Bridge. So there, there are cities where I'll, I'll do stuff. Um, the, kind of the, the, the time schedule, you don't always have a whole lot of time uh, knowing that, you know, right around 2.30 to 3 o'clock, you've yeah. got to you get your, your game face on and get, get toward the bus to get to the ballpark. So uh, ten, you know, that kind of thing we can do on off days if we have off days in cities. Um, and also, if, you know, if my family is there, then I'll tend to do more of that stuff. Yeah. If I'm by myself, I probably do less of it. Just not wanting to go, you know, I, I tend to be someone who likes to travel in groups. I mean, I'd rather yeah. go do something with a, with a few other people rather than just, hey, I'm just going to go off and explore by myself today. That's not, not generally something I do, but uh, we, we keep keep busy and the time goes. All right. All right. Good. All right I'm, all got. Is there anything else you like? Any tips for us as we progress in our <laughs> podcasting and uh, uh, broadcasting career anything you'd like to share with us well I mean uh, I mean it sounds like if you, if you guys are willing to, to go out there and 
and sit on a hill and, and broadcast JV baseball. You're serious <laughs> about it. I mean, the, the one thing that you know that I I did coming up through high school and into college was I tried to do everything. Whether you know any any experience on air is good experience. Whether it's doing uh, you know a high school girls field hockey game or you know with with two people there. I mean, it's any experience you can get on the air is helpful. Um, any sort of whether it's radio work, even if it's doing uh, news, weather, I mean, any any experience to get on the air, you'll benefit. You'll better to make mistakes at a at a low level and, and get better right. and work through your mistakes and, and just get, kind of get rid of the tension that goes with hey, I'm I'm, I'm on the air. There's a microphone yeah. on. I'm talking to people. People are listening. Just to, to have a comfort level in front of a microphone that takes time to develop and. I listened back to the stuff that I did in college, and I thought I was good, but I listened back now, and I really wasn't very good. So it, it was good to be able to make some mistakes at that level. All right. All right. Well, Dave Jagler, it was a pleasure to have you on with us. Thanks, Thanks for your time. Great. Thank right, you very luck, much. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of The Top Step. Make sure to subscribe and rate and review if you've not done so already. And check us out online at topsteptalk.com. We've got pictures and good old-fashioned long-form journalism to supplement what we're putting out here on the podcast. So thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.